0: your Bibles to Psalm 75, Psalm 75. And uh, Psalm 75, if you remember uh, last two weeks ago, we were looking at Psalm 74, where uh, Jerusalem had been destroyed, and the uh, psalmist is wrestling with the ways of God. Why, God, are you? have you cast us off forever? How does this make sense as um, The temple has been destroyed, and God's people have been led into captivity, and uh, the commentators believe that Psalm 75 flows right after Psalm 74, so the same context, the same circumstances, and yet you'll notice in Psalm 75 a vastly different feel. Uh, It's a psalm that has uh, confidence in it and uh, very Godward focus to it, and uh, we're going to notice just what happens when we Hear from the Lord, and so in Psalm seventy-five it begins, verse one, with a uh, we give thanks to you, and then two through five, God Himself speaks, and in uh, in six through seven, the psalmist um, is taking the truths about God and applying it to the world, and then the psalm ends in verses nine and ten with a celebration uh, and I, I will declare a commitment to praising and declaring uh, the praises of the God of Jacob. So Psalm seventy-five. Let's give our attention now and and we'll look together at what a difference it makes when we get a new perspective on our world um, because we have a new grasp of the reality of God. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keeps steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high, or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east, nor from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it on all the wicked of the earth, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Let's ask the Lord to bless His word. Oh God, our Father, we uh, pray that tonight you would help us, Lord, to be trained by your word. It is sufficient for this task of training us in righteousness. And, uh, Lord, I, I pray that your spirit would help our minds to be open to receive this truth and our hearts to rest in it and to, to grasp it uh, so, Lord, that we have the peace and the patience, the quiet, the confidence that belongs to the people of God. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the great challenges of being a Christian in um, a a maddening world is that Christians can uh, fail to stand out as we ought to. I was reading an article just this week about um, the citizens of Taiwan. As you know, uh, China is rattling its saber, uh, threatening to attack Taiwan. There are Uh, warships encircling the island. There are live rounds being fired, and and a reporter was just commenting how strange it was to walk the streets of Taiwan, and life goes on as though um, nothing of the sort were happening, as though there were no threat at all. People are just living their lives, shopping. Uh, The stock market is rising. Uh, There's no sense of impending doom, and uh, it just struck me that um, Christians on a reverse side, but Christians ought to be noted in the world for living with a calm, a quiet, a peace, um, no matter what is happening in the world around us. That there there should be something unique, so that newspaper reporters um, write articles about these strange people who um, who just seem to go on with their life and have peace and joy and. Um, when the sky is falling, when things are coming apart, when, when doom is, is being threatened. The Psalm 75 is a, a, a fascinating psalm uh, in, in light of the fact that the circumstances of the writer do not seem to have changed. Commentators believe that this psalm follows uh, not just numerically after Psalm 74, but uh, in the Psalms of Asaph, that, that he's in the same context, same circumstance. The Psalms of Asaph that we've covered already, Psalms 73 and 74, and now 75, the first two, 73 and 74, uh, Asaph is wrestling with the ways of God. Um, he's noticing things on earth. So in Psalm 73, he sees that the wicked are prospering, and the righteous are suffering. And that doesn't fit with uh, how Asaph thought that the life of the godly would would play out in his mind the life of the godly would it, it ought to be that the, the righteous are blessed and you would notice them blessed and the white life of the wicked should be misery and oppression and that's not what he sees at all and so he's asking the question god what are you doing where are you uh, we have the same question being asked in psalm 74 different historical context but asking the similar question lord How does this make sense that you are letting the wicked destroy your temple? They're they're in your holy place, in your sanctuary. It doesn't make sense. What are you doing? Where are you? And then we have Psalm 75. And the tone is completely different. The tone has shifted from from lamenting to praising. Uh, Psalm 74 ended with this... um, appeal for God to act. Verse 22, if you have your Bible open, arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. So what is the writer noticing as he's writing that? He's he's noticing all the activity of the wicked. He's noticing what they've done to the temple, what they've done to to God's people. He's listening to the sound of the the uproar, the clamor of their voices. That's what he sees. That's what he notices. Far too often, we are just like that. Uh, That what we notice is the uproar. We're listening to the clamor. You're on your social media. you're, you're, You're going through your favorite news. Uh, blogs or or news uh, stations, and you're you we're just listening to the world, and we get wrapped up in in the in the issues and uh, the agendas or the, the, the concerns of the world, and, and, and of course we are citizens of the world, and we have a rightful place to think and discern, but but too often our uh, anxiety and fear and uh, clamoring is just it's just like the world. You would not notice a difference between those who uh, claim to be Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, believers in the living God, and those who want nothing to do with God at all. Uh, the, everyone's clamoring. Everyone's arguing. Everyone's got to uh, you know, make their voice be heard. And, and there's fear uh, that, that just grips people. Well, brothers, it ought not to be that way. In Psalm 75 shows us that there's a, there's a wonderfully different way of living in this clamoring world. In, in, uh, there's a different way of living amidst the uproar of this uh, falling world, this world where things really do break down and fall apart and where there's devastation, but God's children can live in a different way. So there are four parts to the psalms we notice. The first verse is praise and thanks, and then verses 2 through 5, God himself speaks and uh, in verses 6 through 8, we, we see um, the writer reflecting on God as the judge. And then he concludes with a final commitment to praise the Lord. And so let's give our attention uh, to this psalm and think about how this can reorder the way that we live in the world. I, I have to confess, I, as I'm going through this, this psalm and thinking this through, I way too easily get caught up in the latest outrage that I see um, on the, in the news. I, I easily get caught up at the, at the latest awful thing, right, that the, our, the, our, my political opponents are doing or the awful things that are taking place on the college campuses or the awful things that's, that are being uh, promoted uh, in our culture today. And there, again, there ought to be a righteous indignation against things that are wicked and wrong. But the psalmist here is writing... When it's as bad as it can be, the wicked are not threatening. The wicked have destroyed Jerusalem. The temple, God's play, holy place, is in rubble. Everything has been destroyed that that defined Israel, Judah, as, as God's people. And yet here he moves from lamenting to thanksgiving. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks. That's a really radical shift. How do you do that? I remember reading of a lady who had, um, was, it was um, uh, suffering persecution. Her husband had been killed because he was a Christian. I believe he was in Nigeria. And, and she um, says, I must give thanks. I must give thanks. Each day I remind myself to, to thank the Lord. She's just grasping, thanking the Lord. Well, how do you do that? How do you move from these thoughts from the sense of maybe thinly veiled accusations against God. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? How do you move from there to heartfelt worship and praise? What happened to this man? Well, he, write, he tells us what happens. God came near. We give thanks to you, O God, for your name is near. The name of God stands for the, just the reality of God, the, the character of God, the glory of God, who he really is, what he's, what he's really like. And what he's actually done, what he's promised and accomplished for his people. And and the writer is is saying that that the reality of God has become real and clear to him again. You see, in Psalm 73 and Psalm 74, his feet are slipping. He he doesn't have a, a clear vision of the truth of God and the glory of God. He doesn't have a firm grasp of the promises of God. His feet are slipping. And he's looking around. How come the wicked are prospering? How come the wicked are being allowed to destroy the temple? But now something else has come to the forefront of his mind, the reality of God. The truth of who God is as Israel's God and the living God. And and he's going to see that the things that he he focuses on and notices is the fact that God rules over the nations and God judges the earth. These things have been clear to him. You see, friends, there are times in our life where we live like practical atheists, where we live um, as though there were no God, and, and we do it more often than we know. I, I always remember uh, Doug Rosene uh, rebuking me, and he would do it several times, and I'd be explaining some, some problem, you know, some big deal that's happening, and, and whoa, 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 and, and, uh, and Doug would say, I don't know, do you think we could trust God for that? Yeah, I suppose we could. Where did that thought go? How, right, why didn't that come to my mind at the get-go? Why, why wasn't that right there at the beginning? You see, I was living as a practical atheist, as though the, the affairs of my life were actually in my hands and in my power. All the fretting and the worrying and the complaining that we do, it's not rooted in a clear vision of the reality of God. It's rooted in, uh, in fog concerning God. God is not clear. His name is not near well, how does it how does it happen that we move from this practical atheism? how how, how does How does God make Himself clear to us? Well, the writer again tells us uh, how that happens. It happens. It, uh, it for Him. We recount Your wondrous deeds. Uh, Kidner Derek Kidner says the Hebrew translates literally as, "Thy name is brought very near to us in the story of Your wondrous deeds. Thy name is brought very near to us." in the story of thy wondrous deeds. So the sense is that in the context of worship, as the story of God's redemptive power and His saving grace, as that story is told over again, the name of God, the truth of God, once again becomes clear. The reality of God as a saving God who, who rescued Israel out of the power of egypt by his own mighty outstretched arm and kept them alive in the wilderness made water come out of the rock brought down manna from heaven providing for his people setting a table in the wilderness uh, the god who led them into the land of canaan and, and gave that land to them as a free gift the truth of all that god uh, what he was like and what he had accomplished what he had promised that becomes clear as the story is told Kidner says the thanks are prompted by memory and the memory by recital. Isn't that exactly what we find week after week as we gather for worship? We come with weary hearts, with hurting hearts, with confused minds. It's been a mess of a week. And sometimes God people come come struggling in and not knowing which end is up. But as we begin to sing songs that extol the glory of God... And as we read the scripture and we hear again the promises of God, as we recount the story of of God's wondrous deeds, and we hear a message maybe that that explains and, and tells the story again, that all that truth about God becomes real to us again. His name is brought near to us again. Our hearts are warmed by the sunshine of God's love and grace to us and, and we leave worship with a new perspective. That's what worship does. It, it, it gives us a renewed grasp of the truth of who God really is and what it means to be His child, what it means to belong to Him. If you leave Sunday after Sunday without a sense that you've be, your, your mind has been attuned again to eternal truths and the reality of God, either you're not paying attention or or we're not opening the Scripture together. Because as the redemptive story is told, as God speaks in His Word, this is what happens. It's what happened for Him. It's what makes um, a complainer into a worshiper. Someone who frets into someone who praises. Well, when when, uh, we come in worship, God Himself speaks, and that's exactly what we find in verses 2 through 5. And God reveals Himself to be a God who reigns. God tells us that at the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. You see, the the writer in Psalm 73 and 74 uh, was wrestling with delayed judgment. Why are the wicked prospering? And he forgot that God has set a day when judgment will come. Uh, in, In Psalm 74, why are the wicked trashing the temple. Why, and why isn't God doing anything? And, and he has forgotten that God has set a day when judgment will come. It's not judgment day yet. Christians can get confused and Christians can get concerned when, we, when it looks like uh, unrighteousness is winning, when it looks like the, the, the church is being uh, slowly um, oppressed and, and, and destroyed, persecuted in place, some places in the world uh, out of existence. How, how does that make sense? Well, why, why doesn't God respond? Well, he's going to respond. He's going to respond. It's not judgment day yet. And so God says, I have set a time that I will appoint. Just because God is not acting now does not mean that God is not in control and that, and that justice will be avoided. It will not be avoided. Though judgment seems to be delayed It has been appointed. A day of judgment has been appointed. And God wants us to know that. It's appointed unto every man once to die and then to face the judgment. So no matter uh, how the, the kings and rulers of this earth might threaten and might roar and might wreak havoc on God's creation, the fact is that a judgment day has been set where justice will be meted out. He will judge with perfect equity. Impeccable and perfect justice. We do not live in an amoral universe. I was reading a book recently about uh, a man's experience in Vietnam, and just writes about the unbelievable randomness of the violence and the death in Vietnam, where you you would be sent to to take a hill, and uh, you'd have no idea why Uh, you would you would you would see friends. Um, who are killed simply because they turned the wrong way at the wrong moment. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. It's utterly random, and it's absolutely meaningless. All of it. And he wrote, there's no God in Vietnam. There can't be a God in Vietnam. Vietnam is amoral. Well, if you just look at the circumstances, yeah, you'll be tempted to think that. If you try to discern things simply by looking at what you see, it will look like evil goes unanswered. It will look like this world is completely random. It will look like righteousness has no reward at all. But God speaks, I will judge with equity. Evil will not go unanswered. Righteousness will not go unrewarded. This is not an amoral universe. And God is actively at work in this world even though we can't discern His ways at times. When God says in verse 3, When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. God is upholding His world. When it looks to us as though it's all careening out of control, God wants us to remember that He has the whole world in His hands and all the inhabitants of the earth are in His hand. There are no random events. There are no rogue actors God wants us to know that He is sovereign still, that He rules and that He reigns. The, the foundations of the world are established by Him. And though we don't understand His ways, we, and we shouldn't let that bother us. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. But what we do, what we do have is what God has revealed, what He's told us. It's not, it's not falling apart. God has this world in His hands. And so God says to the, to the proud... I say to the boastful, "Do not boast. There's a God, a living God. Do not boast." You see, pride is the primary root of this world's rebellion against God, isn't it pride scoffs at God. Pride is abhorrent to God. Boys and girls, the, remember maybe I have that little song, there are six things, even seven that the Lord hates that He cannot stand. What's the first thing? Proud-looking eyes, haughty eyes. The first thing on the list that God hates is pride. Proverbs 8:13, God says, "I hate pride and arrogance." Proverbs 16:5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. When we see proud men, men who have um, just sheer arrogance against God, men who, who act as though there is no God and they're just going to make their way in the world and they boast of their evil deeds. When we see proud men, we should shudder. It's a man that God hates. It's a man who is ripe for destruction. It is not a man to applaud. It's not a man to be uh, thinking, you know, he's really got this figured out. It's a man who is in deep, deep trouble because he lives on God's world and God notices his pride and is deeply offended by it. On the flip side, it should make us eagerly desire humility. It should be one of the traits that we most hungrily seek after. Lord, help me to be humble. It's a painful prayer, but it's it's essential. God loves humility. Do you know what the first beatitude is? Blessed are the poor in heart. Blessed are the poor in heart. Isaiah 66, 2, this is the one to whom I will look, God says. I live in a high and a holy place, but I'll look to this one. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's the one who catches God's attention. That's the one who receives God's blessing. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. He lifts them up. And that's the theme of verses 6 through 8. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Deep in the heart of every person it is a desire to be lifted up. You'll see the phrase here twice in verse 6 and then again in verse 7. Shows up again in verse 10. Everyone wants to be recognized, to be seen, to be noticed. It's what makes Instagram and TikTok and, and Facebook work. Right? People are making billions of dollars off of people's passion to be noticed and seen and exalted. But God says uh, there is no exaltation in this world. Uh, it's not found in the east. It's not found in the west. It's not found in the wilderness. It doesn't matter how far you go. There's no, there's no exalting. There's no being lifted up. There's no help not, not real help in this world. Uh, the, the, the theme of lifting up is often linked to the poor, the poor, who are, the, those who are oppressed, those who, who are crying out for justice, those who, who, who long to be lifted up out of their oppression and poverty and, and, and established. Where will their help come from? Well, their help, like for, for all of us, our help comes from the Lord. And God is, and the psalmist explains here, you won't find anything in all the world. You can go as far east as you want, as far west as you like. Go as deep into the wilderness as you possibly can. Nothing can save you. Nothing can rescue you. Nothing can lift you up except God. He is the lifter of our heads, Psalm 3, verse 3. God says, it is God, it is I who execute judgment, putting one down and lifting another up. You just, I just, This psalm has this, this wonderful thread, this, this theme of look at God, notice God, see God. It is I, it is God who executes judgment. It is God with whom we have to do. Do you think of that through your day? Do you think of that through your week as you, as you deal with the real issues of life? But is, does God have that weight that it is God that I'm dealing with and I must deal with? one way or the other now or then right god will either be my salvation or god will be my damnation and there's no other option you see god just presses the point home it is god who executes judgment and he's going to lift he's going to put some down he's going to lift others up and he's going to he's going to he's going to repay those who are proud and those who war against him. Verse 8 is a, is a warning specifically for those who rebel. For in the hand of the Lord, there's a cup of foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. That's a, that's a theme you see throughout scripture, that God is a cup of, of wrath that he's prepared. It's, it's, the, it's the, all of God's hatred against evil and all the just Wrath that evil deserves, and God is going is to give it to the nations, and, and they're going to drink it down to the dregs. That bitter, devastating, damning uh, wrath of God. They're going to receive it. It's not just an Old Testament idea. You have in Revelation chapter 14 as well, in verse 9, John says, He saw an angel following them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Friends, that is a, that is a reality that Scripture never apologizes for, never tries to avoid. That God, as he rules over this, his world is incensed by the evil, incensed by the anger, by, the, by the, uh, the arrogance. And that God, on the day that he is appointed, is going to judge the living and the dead. And that reality, well, that should make a difference in how we think about life. Do not fret because of the evildoers, the Bible says. Don't, don't fret because of the prosperity of the wicked, Psalm 73. Discern their end. Have pity on the lost. Do you, do you realize there's a day coming when every single person you know is going to stand in the presence of this God and it's going to be a day of judgment. It should change the way that the things that we worry about, the, the things that we, that we fear Right? What does Jesus say? He says astonishing things. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. But be afraid of him who can cast both your body and your soul into hell. Jesus means that. It should, it should change. You see, it should give us a ballast in the world. When the world is in uproar over this outrage or, 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 or uh, you know, Moving to champion this this sinful cause when, when they're when they're roaring and clamoring when we have the uproar all around us God's people should just have this, this ballast. We're not going to be swayed by, by this or that. We're going to jump on every political bandwagon that comes down the pike. We're the people of God. And this world is not about who wins the next uh, the next election. This world is about a judgment day that God has set. And the judge has been appointed. And we're rushing towards that day, 60 seconds a minute. There's a ballast in our life. And that allows us to praise. Verse 9 I will declare it forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. The the psalm ends as it begins. We will recount your wondrous deeds. Verse 1, we're going to declare this forever. We're going to sing the praises of the God of Jacob. And that's a wonderful way to end the the psalm because uh, isn't it wonderful that the God who judges is willing to be known as the God of Jacob? You remember Jacob, right? Jacob was not a righteous man. Jacob was a conniver, a, a liar, a schemer, cheat, Um, The son of Isaac, he was not an honorable man, and yet God chose him to be the recipient of Abraham's blessings and the the father of the tribes of Israel. Why Jacob? Because God delights to pour out his grace on the undeserving, just like he has poured poured out his grace on us. We're not righteous people. We sin in a thousand ways. All the sins that we see around us in the world, they all have cousins and siblings right in our own heart. The lust and the lying and the envy, the greed, the covetousness, the impatience, the anger, whatever it might be. We're not righteous people by ourselves, but brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, our Lord, the God of Jacob, has become our God. And that God says, be still and know that I am God. Isn't that wonderful in Psalm 46? The, God, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still. Know that I am God. An ever-present help in trouble. Friends, we live in a world where there is trouble and there will be trouble. and There will be trouble that, um, in our life and in, in, in the, the, the world around us that beggars our ability to understand. We, just, we simply won't understand. Why is this happening? We we won't be able to understand, to to figure out the ways of God. But what we have is sufficient for a life of peace, a life of joy. What we know is sufficient. God is God, and He is our God in Jesus Christ. And He holds the world, and He's going to judge with perfect equity. And in Jesus Christ, that judgment for us has already been... Passed over. In Jesus Christ we're safe forevermore. We have nothing to fear. And now we can be involved in the cause. May God grant it. Amen. Father, we live in troubled times, and your world has always been a troubled world since Adam and Eve decided to ally themselves with the devil. Oh, but God, I thank you that this is your world, and I thank you that you reign. And you rule, that you hold this earth in your hands. And Father, that in your sovereign wisdom, you are working all things together for our good and your glory. Father, we don't understand why things happen. We can't discern the secret ways and purposes of God. But I thank you, Father, that you've given us all we need in these wonderful truths that you are God and you are our God. Lord, I just pray that this week we could live then as people who know their God, who have this ballast in their heart, that we are not, we're not shaken, we're not afraid though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Because the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our refuge. And Father, we give you the thanks and the praise. And we thank you, Lord God, on the day of judgment. We have a place to hide in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that on the day of judgment, we have nothing to fear. And I pray, Lord, that if there be any here tonight who are not ready to face the judgment day of God, Father, that you would give them the, the ability to repent and to flee to Jesus Christ, for this is the day of grace, this is the day of salvation. Seek you the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Father, make us ready that we might live in this life at peace and on that day with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together um, the wonderful hymn, The Ancient of Days. My God is the Ancient of Days. Let's stand together and sing. Mm As you go, go with the blessing of your sovereign God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.